Hello, I'm Lynn Ahmudu. Welcome to Health Chat. On the show today, we will discuss rabies. The word rabies often brings to mind stray dogs or enraged animals, but there's more to it. Rabies is a fatal but vaccine-preventable disease caused by a virus that affects the central nervous system. It can spread to people and pets if they are bitten or scratched by a rabid animal. Rabies is one of the oldest diseases known to mankind and continues to pose a threat to human and animal health. The World Health Organization says tens of thousands of people die from rabies each year, mainly in Asia and Africa. For more on the subject, I spoke with Professor Luis Nell, Executive Director of the Global Alliance for Rabies Control. Take a listen. Professor Luis Nell, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. Would you please uh, explain to us what is rabies? So rabies is a, a disease caused by a virus, the rabies virus. It's quite a miserable disease. Uh, the virus uh, uh, tra travels up to the, the brain of the infected person and, uh, and, and death uh, then follows invariably. Uh, so it really truly is a miserable disease that's been with mankind for thousands of years. It can be something like fatigue, headache, fever. Those can be initial symptoms. And then it pro can progress into hallucinations, light sensitivity, uh, hydrophobia, fear of water. And it's all connected with things that go wrong in, in the brain. It is essentially going to making somebody crazy and certainly making these animals also crazy. They behave uh, completely abnormal, completely aggressive. Uh, this hypersalivation um, that you get, and this is in humans and in animals. Uh, you do get the two forms. The one is the furious form, which is the more common one, the one that I've just explained. Uh, then there's the second manifestation is the dumb form in which um, yeah, an animal or a human simply become paralyzed. This uh, common idea is that uh, dogs are the one who bite people and then people get infected, but uh, there's more to it than that. Yes, uh, I think many people in the world uh, underestimate the burden of, of rabies. Uh, it's, you know, we calculate that there's almost 60,000 people per year uh, dying from, from rabies, most of them in Africa and Asia. And 99% uh, of them from uh, infected dogs. So this is what we call dog-mediated rabies. So dogs really truly are the reservoir and, and the vector, the, the source of, of the virus that is then transmitted to humans, uh, causing their deaths. So you can think, um, if we talk about 60,000 or so human deaths per year, it's many times more animals that succumb to, to disease as well. So there are other animals susceptible to rabies. In fact, all mammals are, are susceptible to rabies, but is the dog that we are concerned about when it comes to the, the largest impact uh, on human health. How do people get rabies? The disease then is transmitted between dogs. So uh, a dog gets infected and then transmits that uh, the virus to another dog. Uh, humans then are intermediate hosts. So if you get in the way of a rabbit dog, you can be bitten 
by that dog. Um, by the time the dog is rabbit, there would be a lot of uh, virus in the brain of the virus and from the brain of the dog. And from the brain, it, the virus migrates to the uh, salivary glands. Then there's uh, lots and lots of virus in the saliva of this infected animal. Uh, and when uh, you are then bitten, the virus is transmitted through the saliva. So the skin is penetrated, the saliva is deposited, and the virus is contained within the saliva. From there, the virus then enters the peripheral nerve system and then travels through the central nervous system all the way to the brain. So that is how the infection happens. And they say about rabies that once the symptoms are manifesting in a, a person, then it's too late. That is correct. A very important thing about rabies is that it can be prevented through what we call post-exposure prophylaxis, so treatment that happens after you have been exposed. But this ha has to happen quickly. Um, you need to get the, the correct medical care. If uh, I, There are basically three important steps. Uh, the first thing is when a person is bitten by uh, a suspected rabbit animal, that wound must be very thoroughly washed uh, for as long as you can. Um, the, the WHO, World Health Organization, recommend 15 minutes. That's a long time, but th this is important. So for as long as you can, with soap and water, running water, if, if possible, that's a very important first intervention. Thereafter, such a person should get medical care, which would then include a schedule of vaccines, and the medical professionals will be able to tell the person um, how and how often this should happen, and also immune globulin, if that is potentially available. So these are important steps. But back to your comment, once symptoms appeared, so once the, once the virus reached the brain, there's nothing you can do, and then it's invariably fatal. So how long is the incubation then? And how much time does someone have to make sure that the symptom does not appear? Yeah, that's a very good and a very tricky question and, and rabies is a is is a tricky virus in that sense because the uh, the virus needs to travel to the brain and that can be a long way if you bitten on the ankle for example there's a long way that the virus needs to travel all the way to the brain if you bitten in the neck it's a shorter way and so the travel time will be shorter so then the incubation time will be shorter so that's one factor but there are other factors that also can make incubation time quite variable in the case of rabies. So typically between one and eight weeks uh, for, for humans, but it can be shorter and it can be longer. Can a person transmit rabies or is it just from animal to humans? In theory, yes. And there had been one very few documented cases over, so over hundreds of years. Uh, in theory, yes, but that is not normally what would happen. Uh, the normal route of transmission would be through a, a carnival or animal such as a dog to humans. So in theory, yes, but th this is not something that is well documented. Talk to us about the incidence of rabies in developing countries, especially in uh, Africa. So a good rabies control would rely on, on, on good 
public health measures and good public health infrastructure, and sometimes this is lacking in uh, countries of the developing world. Uh, and in many African countries, the vaccination rate of dogs is not really what it should be. So if we want to prevent rabies in humans, the way to do it would be to vaccinate dogs. So it's a little bit of a story. So, so here we talk about the relationship between animal health and human health. We came to understand that as a general global population a little bit better with the COVID pandemic, understanding that there's a link between human health and animal health. So, but in the case of rabies, the way to prevent rabies in humans would be to eliminate it in the reservoir, in dogs. That means dogs need to be vaccinated and we need to achieve herd immunity in dogs, something that people will also better understand now with the COVID pandemic. Uh, people now understand that we need to vaccinate 70-80% of people to achieve herd immunity. The same for rabies, and we've always known that with in excess of 70% of the dog population needs to be vaccinated. But that's a tall challenge uh, because there are many dogs that are sometimes not that well looked after. They can be free roaming animals and they in Africa don't necessarily get the veterinary care that you would for example, get in the in the United States of America or uh, in Western Europe. And therein lies, lies the challenge, uh, would be to make the case that we need to get these animals vaccinated. We need to spend the money to create the structure where we can vaccinate these animals. Uh, we also need a better level of animal welfare care. Um, so it's a it can be a win-win situation from an animal welfare point of view, but also from a disease prevention point of view. And Professor Nell, talk to us about the actions of your organization. What sorts of program are being implemented to ensure that uh, rabies is a story of the past one day? When we started this discussion, you mentioned World Rabies Day on 28th of September. Now, World Rabies Day was created by the Global Alliance for Rabies Control uh, as the premier non-governmental organization um, at the time trying to create more awareness about this disease. So that's an advocacy tool. So, uh, so, in, uh, so, so the World Rabies Day initiative is one of the things that we try to do to create more advocacy, to make people more aware of, of this disease and that it is still a serious problem um, in many parts of the world. And it's an unnecessary problem. It's a problem that, um, you know, every rabies death is preventable and completely unnecessary. And if you can prevent something, why would you not? And, uh, and if you can eliminate a disease, why would you not? And the disease, in fact, had been eliminated in many countries of the world, starting in Japan, later on in countries of Western Europe, United Kingdom, and dog rabies also eliminated in places like the U.S. and recently in Mexico. So I think these are, are things that need to be done. But there needs to be awareness and advocacy. And so that's one of the first things that we, we try and do. We also have two websites at the Global Alliance for Rabies Control, created with the various different tools that are necessary uh, to combat this disease. It's very easy to get in rabies now, 
www.endrabies.org is the one website and endrabiesnow.org explains the problem and explains the solution and it tells the stories from around the world. The other website um, is rabiesalliance.org and that page contains all of the various different tools available that are created that have been created to help people around the world. The important thing is we need to create a, uh, a situation where people can help themselves. And if I say people, I'm talking about nations, I'm talking about governments, I'm talking about territories. And we need to create things, tools that would make it easier for them to do that. So, so advocacy, educational tools, and then tools like surveillance, tools and we know everybody now knows from the COVID pandemic how important surveillance is you cannot neglect surveillance surveillance means you need to know the numbers of cases so if you don't know if the cases are going up uh, and you don't know if cases are going down you have no idea whether your intervention strategy is working or not and you have no idea of the burden of that disease on your society so surveillance is very important and we have those tools and similarly vaccination tools, how to better keep tracking of vaccination, how to more efficiently vaccinate, how to do it for at a lesser cost, that sort of thing. Final word, Professor Nell. There are many diseases in the world and we know many of these diseases are important. So why would we focus on on rabies, why should we, and if people ask me, but should I not rather spend a bit more money on this or that? This is a terrible disease. We don't need this disease. It's been around for too long. It belongs to the history books. There are vaccines, they work. The disease had been eliminated from many parts of the world. We just now go to go the extra mile and just get rid of this. Professor Luinel, thank okay. you so much. We appreciate your time. Thank you, Lenore, appreciate. That was Professor Luis Nell, Executive Director of the Global Alliance for Rabies Control. You are listening to Health Chat on Voice of America. It is time for a short break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Hello, this is James Barty, Managing Editor and host of VOA's Daybreak Africa show. Join us Monday through Friday at 03, 04, 05, and 0600 hours UTC as we bring you the latest Africa news, features, and sports. You can also be a part of Daybreak Africa through our mail segment by sending your comments to daybreakafrica at voanews.com. Or you can call us on 001-202-205-9942. And when you hear the Voice of America identification, press the number 25 to leave us your message. That's Daybreak Africa at 03, 04, 05, and 0600 hours UTC right here on VOA Africa. Welcome back to Health Chat. 
September 28th is World Rabies Day, as we mentioned earlier, and uh, we are discussing rabies on the program today. Next, I spoke with Dr. Felix uh, Lancaster, a veterinarian, clinical associate professor at the Washington State University and director of Rabies Free Tanzania. Dr. Lancaster conducts rabies elimination research and vaccination campaigns in Tanzania and leads Global Health Tanzania and Rabies Free Tanzania program. Dr. Felix Lancaster, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Rabies is a viral disease that affects animals as well as humans. What is the scope of the problem in the African region? I'm currently in East Africa, and rabies is a significant problem in Africa and in Asia. Um, Around 50% of the cases in the world are in Africa, um, between 25 and 30,000 deaths a year, mostly children. So it's a significant problem, especially in the rural areas. We see a lot of stray dogs in uh, African cities, also rural areas. Should people assume that they have rabies? So there are many dogs on the streets and in the villages, and, and most of them appear to be stray or feral, but actually most of them have some form of ownership and are pets in some respect. And so when we run vaccination programs and we ask people to bring dogs, most of those dogs get scooped up and get brought to the vaccination clinic. So they're not all stray or feral. And a rabid dog generally will be uh, behaving very strangely. So the dogs that you see sleeping on the side of the road um, behaving normally, they are not a risk to you. It's the dogs that are looking very strange, um, aggressive, not just your normal aggression when a, a dog is on a chain and it's a guard dog, that's not a rabid dog. It's, it's, a, it's a, a dog that's behaving strangely and is aggressive for no reason whatsoever. That's when you need to worry. But obviously, um, rabies is relatively... Um, I mean, most dogs don't have rabies, so you don't, people don't need to fear dogs. Um, they should fear rabies. And, and the way to control rabies is to get dogs vaccinated, and that's very straightforward. You are conducting a rabies elimination research and vaccination campaign in Tanzania. Talk to us about the work that you're doing and how it's uh, uh, making an impact on the ground. So we run mass dog vaccination programs in northern Tanzania to distribute uh, dog vaccines to rural areas to try to create sufficient vaccination coverage. So we run research programs looking at different methods of, of, make, of delivering mass dog vaccination and comparing different methods of delivering mass dog vaccination to try to understand which is the most cost-effective, has the most reach. And so we recently determined that the a commonly used vaccine is thermotolerant, which means it can be stored outside of refrigerators. And that has been a great uh, um, discovery because it's enabled us to really rethink how we distribute dog vaccines um, to these rural areas where uh, electricity is scarce and refrigeration units are, are also not to be found. So because we've determined that the rabies vaccine is, is able to be stored outside of the cold chain, we can then deliver these vaccines without refrigerators to remote areas where they can be managed by the communities. And this is helping us to increase the number of dogs in these communities that are vaccinated, which in turn enables us to eliminate rabies, both in dogs and in humans. And finally, what will be the best way to contain and eradicate rabies? It has been around for such a long time. How do we control rabies? So rabies is one of those interesting diseases where 
Um, it's, it affects over half the world's population, yet we have all the tools necessary to, to control it and eliminate it. We have very effective vaccines, and we know what the reservoir host is. It's the domestic dog, man's best friend. So really, all we need to do is, is garner the political will and the financial clout to start rolling out mass dog vaccinations in the areas where rabies remains endemic. And if we vaccinate sufficient dogs every year, then rabies will be eliminated. And that, that's been shown in, in the areas where that type of intervention has taken place, such as in Latin America and other parts of the world where rabies has been successfully controlled. Dr. Felix Lancaster, thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Thank you very much. That was Dr. Felix Lancaster, Associate Professor at the Washington State University and Director of Rabies Free Tanzania. We turn now to the COVID-19 pandemic. In line with global statistics, South Africa's welcoming significant drops in COVID-19 infection and death rates. But medical scientists are warning that a fourth wave of the pandemic is likely to hit the African country worse affected by coronavirus in December. The government's rushing to vaccinate as many people as possible by then but as Darren Taylor reports, some are not going along with the state's efforts. For the fourth week in a row, the pandemic slowing down around the world. There are now more than 30% fewer new infections in Africa than a month ago. These viruses generally tend to bend themselves out, even though, of course, when they bend themselves out without interventions, they create a lot of havoc. Professor Mosa Moshabela is head of medical research at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. He says vaccinations are the single biggest factor behind decreasing illness and death from COVID-19, particularly their efficacy against the highly transmissible Delta variant. There is sort of infection immunity that is building in the population around the world for this particular variant. Moshabela says South Africa's third wave is officially over. It'll give us a little bit of a breather. It requires for us to accelerate vaccinations, but also to continue to monitor trends globally to see if there's going to be any other emerging variants that might replace Delta. The South African government plans to speed up the number of vaccinations by declaring them mandatory. People who can't show an official immunization card won't be allowed to travel by air, for example. Some universities already refusing to allow unvaccinated students and staff on campus. The issue of so-called forced vaccinations has angered some groups, including the South African National Christian Forum. People need to make a choice out of their own will, not under duress or fear. Pastor Marothi Mashashane says his group's asking the country's constitutional court to issue an order preventing anyone, especially the government, from making vaccines mandatory. To force the jab onto citizens, says Mashashane, is a violation of their rights and is also causing suspicion among some Christians. The way this vaccination is becoming possible then it started to trigger in our minds as to whether we are not taking now a triple six, the mark of the beast. 
Some fundamentalist Christians around the world have suggested that COVID-19 immunizations are a way for authorities to brand people with a mark of Satan. They present no proof of this conspiracy, though. Mashashane adds that the government wants to make vaccinations mandatory to cover up the inefficiencies of its immunization program. Therefore, that is really a triggering and making more resistant when the government is failing to have a clear approach and a manner of convincing or influencing. More than anything, they didn't even do much work to come to the community and inform the community about this vaccination. The state argues that while it has a duty to guard against abuse of citizens' rights, it also has a duty to protect people from COVID-19. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Delegates attending a virtual summit on improving health equity in Africa have called for greater accountability from governments and leaders in delivering on their commitments to improve the well-being and health of women, children and adolescents. From Nairobi, VOA's Ruben Kiama reports. You didn't know that I am the girl staying home from school because I don't have pads. My future, they took that. I am the girl walking to school with a stomach heavier than my book bag. This is my life. I am no different from the girl you heard about being sold off at 12 as a wife. I am not a charity case. That's Kenyan poet Mumbi Macharia performing a poem titled Dear World Leaders during the opening of the online event. The meeting, held on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly, specifically focused on sub-Saharan Africa. Natasha Kaoma is a youth advocate for women's health from Zambia. In Zambia, we've been reminded of the power that young people have in democracy, in the just-ended election. And as young people in Zambia, we want to use this power for accountability and for speaking up and speaking out about sexual reproductive health and the needs of young women. During the COVID pandemic, youth-friendly spaces have increased attendance by 25%. She says Zambia's teenage pregnancy rate has remained high at around 28% over the last 10 to 15 years. The participants discussed the situation in many countries across sub-Saharan Africa, highlighting measures being taken to improve healthcare services through investments and better policies for improved access to quality services. Kwaku Ageman Manu is Ghana's Minister of Health. We tackle the pandemic to the extent that our normal service delivery, especially targeting women and children, weren't severely disrupted at all. We moved very quickly to try to provide PPEs across the country, and the commodities group supported by our military were actually moving things across the country to make sure there are health workers and all those who are attending facilities had these. The Ghanaian minister says his West African nation of 30 million people is stepping up efforts to invest more in its healthcare system. Without a renewed effort, participants warned that decades of hard-won gains are at risk as the COVID-19 pandemic continues to disrupt and undermine vital health service provision. Helen Clark is board chair of PMNCH and former prime minister of New Zealand. Over the decade, there's been a shift in what we've been talking about and with whom we're talking. 
And as we continue to advocate for universal health coverage, we must always be informed and guided by what women, children, and young people themselves say they need and want for their own lives, including the need for respect, dignity, quality care, and freedom from abuse. But what needs to be done to empower vulnerable groups, especially women and girls, affected by humanitarian crises in fragile and conflict regions? Winnie Bianima is the executive director of UNAIDS. Without putting communities at the center of a response, prevention, testing, treatment, without putting rights of girls and women at the center, we will not solve this problem. We must learn from history and save lives. And I know many of you here are working hard to achieve that. She regretted that 64 countries, most in Africa, spend more money servicing external debts instead of allocating more funds to the healthcare systems. Ghana and Zambia paid four times more in external debt servicing than they invested in health systems before the pandemic. So even before the pandemic, many African countries, their debt service repayments were mounting and they were crowding out expenditures on health, education, and social protection. That is the situation Africa found itself in just before the crisis. The summit also highlighted the use of digital technology for improving accountability and action to enhance women's children's and adolescents' health. Participants at the virtual summit, dubbed the Accountability Breakfast, included government officials, youth leaders, and representatives from non-governmental organizations, as well as grassroots campaign groups. Ruben Chama, VON News, Nairobi. That's all for this edition of Health Chat. For the latest news and coverage on the coronavirus pandemic, visit viewingnews.com. Check us out at facebook.com slash Chat, and let's keep the conversation going. Thank you all for joining us and special thanks to all our affiliate stations throughout Africa for carrying Health Chat. I'm your host, Lina Khmudu in Washington with producer Dan Brown. Until next time, take care, stay safe and wash your hands more frequently and strive to make every day a healthy day.